Welcome to the first episode of the Demos podcast. Uh, we are glad to kick off the first episode uh, by discussing the relationships between the judiciary and populism. And for that, we have very special guests with us today. We have here Professor of uh, Comparative Law at the University of Timisoara, Alexandra Mercesco. And I also have here Bea Baku, which is a professional uh, journalist uh, for the Azonali, which is a media publication in Hungary. So thank you very much for joining us today. And alongside me for this interview, for this talk, I also have uh, Balash Fekete. Hi, guys. Uh, a research fellow at the Institute for Legal Studies at the Center for Social Sciences, which coordinates demos. And my first question is um, to Alexandra. What does populism mean in the Romanian uh, context? I mean, is there such a thing as of a new wave of populism that is completely different from the legacy of the socialist era? Um, hello, thank you for having me. Uh, let me start my answer by um, saying that I appreciate very much how you framed the question, as indeed populism means different things in different contexts. So we might be tempted to place from Brexit, uh, Poland and Hungary's democ democratic backsliding under the same Or even Canada. Putin. Or even Putin, Russia. of course. <laughs> But ultimately, we can also be sure to find important differences, I think, between these uh, problematic phenomena. So let me say a few things about Romania. The country has witnessed in recent times a series of political initiatives which were problematic from the point of view of the rule of law. However, now, if these are to be qualified as being populist or not, is a question still open to debate. Uh, many of the elements generally attributed to the populist rhetoric, in my view, are lacking in the Romanian political landscape. There was no obvious we and only we represent the people rhetoric or uh, this anti-elite resentment. Um, so the ruling left-wing party, and by the way, uh, this party is no longer in power. It was ousted after it lost the vote in, um, of confidence in parliament. Mm -hmm. uh, and I must mention that this is the party that's considered to be a continuator of the communist party actually was perceived by the liberal elites as only doing what it has been doing since 1989, that is trying to use state power in the interest of party members. Um, so they tended to put in power dubious politicians uh, with no significant credentials, and as such their anti-elitism actually passed as an expression of corruption and incompetence rather than really putting forth a populist, a truly populist master plan. Uh, but other populist elements were nonetheless present, and especially I'm very concerned, and the commentators were concerned, about attacks on the uh, judiciary. Then we also had the referendum um, organized on, um, so the, the intention was to entrench the definition of family as only being based on the union between a man and a woman. However, um, the referendum did not achieve um, the necessary, the required um, turnout threshold for the turnout, and basically it was a serious blow in the face of uh, populists. Um, so I would suggest that we had our populist moments, but uh, I would not qualify um, the former government as having been a truly populist uh, government. Bell, what do you think about the Hungarian because of the strong populist character of the governing party, for instance? Do you see... First, I have to ask a question. What does populism mean for you? Because it's, it's a word which, which we hear every day and everyone is complaining about, but I don't really understand. So what what we think about... What, what do you understand uh, under this term, personally? Nothing. Do I don't know. Do you have any specific understanding? No. For, for instance, we can say that um, those are populist parties or those are populist claims that are based on the gap 
or on the emphasizing of the gap between the people and the elites. And those who try to characterize the voice of the people, they can be regarded as populists. So that's more or less the understanding or the basic understanding of what populism should be. But there are loads of definitions, a lot of discussion and yeah, debate about that. So basically in the Romanian council, we didn't have that. At exactly. least I, I, didn't, I didn't see it. Um, and uh, just to give you an example, the former um, runner-up in the presidential election, so representing the, the former ruling party, the slogan was, um, I will be the president of all the people, <laughs> of everyone. So... You can't actually blame her for being a populist when she puts forth such a... So, yeah. Well, then, of course, you can say, okay, this is just rhetoric. Let's have a look at the, the actions themselves, the political initiatives. Yeah. So from your experience as a journalist in Hungary, um, we can talk about uh, restriction of pr- uh, freedom of the press, for example. I heard that you were like uh, taking the president of the Hungarian parliament to the court because of some measures that have been taken. Could you share a little bit what happened, give some context, and what do you think about that, I mean, for democracy? Okay, just uh, let me return to the elite versus people because I think that in Hungary it doesn't work in context like this. So I think maybe if I think about populism, I think that it is... uh, telling uh, very difficult things, very simplifying it. But it's, you know, politics is like that. The better you are at it, the more su- successful you are in politics. So that's how things work. But uh, in Hungary, with an anti-elitist uh, politics, you cannot reach that much people. So mm-hmm. I think here it works in other way. And, and uh, in Hungary, I think the opposition is also populist in the sense, or simplifying in the sense, that they have the only one message against Orban. Orban is the evil. The and devil think, yeah, in yeah. person. So, uh, it's, you know, when the government is speaking about the migrants are coming and there is a migrant apocalypse, and then the opposition says Orban is evil, and even if he has an idea which has good parts, or it's not entirely wrong, you cannot admit that because then you are a traitor, you are not an oppositioner. So populism is very deep in this political culture on both sides. Yes, actually, there have been people and commentators that accused um, prosecutors and uh, all those that were in favor of a very strong anti-corruption platform of being populist themselves. And actually, protesters were being accused, protesters who basically, they, uh, at least they thought that they were defending the rule of law, they have been accused of being um, of exhibiting this penal populist because, well, they wanted very harsh uh, punishments for the corrupt politicians. And again, we see here this kind of policy Polarizing this division of society. So in this sense, yes, maybe we have on the on the one hand the elite, the young in Romania, the young middle class sector, IT people who are very secure in their jobs and they just want they don't want corruption, but they don't realize that other people, well, they are not interested in this anti-corruption because they have um, well economic problems and the country is divided. So from this point of view, populists they can have a lot of material to speculate. Um, um, on and to draw on. So. How do you compare this with other democracies, for example, or what's happening in the UK or what's happening in the US? There's this strong um, opinion against the media, for example. In the US, Trump basically undermines media outlets because he's constantly attacking them. I don't know if the situation in Hungary is this similar. We try. Uh, so I can I can speak for, speak for myself and for personally. We try we try to destroy the opinion bubbles. So. 
we have uh, opposite opinions on the site and we like debates and, and we encourage everyone to uh, tell his or her opinion even if he is not a journalist. So uh, we are trying to be in the middle and also accept all kinds of opinions. Um, and about the, about the parliament and the freedom of the press. So, uh, this so your keys, yeah, yeah, keys our uh, keys. the president uh, of the Hungarian It parliament. is re- really funny because it's the first case then, then we really sue anyone. Formerly, we have been sued very much time for, uh, you know... Mostly by politicians. <laughs> by politicians and by other journalists because they didn't like that we told them that they were communists and because of our opinions. But this new rules in the parliament doesn't affect only the oppositional press, but also the pro-government press. It, it applies to everyone. So I think it's, it's just not reasonable. But now it occurred that uh, next to the former p- press corridor, there will be the new offices of Viktor Orban. So the timing makes it very likely that it has something to do with that, these new rules. I cannot uh, really be sure, mm-hmm. but uh, now if Orban uh, comes out from his new office and there would be a journalist uh, three steps away, so yeah, I can imagine that he wouldn't appreciate that. What were your main arguments against this rest- restriction prepared by so the it, it president me, of the parliament? It had to be made clear that uh, earlier, you couldn't also um, make recordings anywhere, but there were a press corridor which was not that long, but it was enough. Uh, and politicians usually went there through. And now uh, this press corridor has been replaced to another floor, where which is really somewhere in a corner. Nobody goes like there. I in think, the middle, even of in the cleaning, maybe not. So <laughs> there is completely nothing. isolated. Yeah, yeah. And you can then make recordings there and in the lounge where there are some press conferences, maybe, but it's not very usual. It, it's really, a, it, it makes impossible to, to make uh, coverage. So I can even sit in my room and see the live streaming. I, uh, I mean, what is the point of yeah, going that, to the parliament, was, right? That was, of course, the point. So we argued that... Um, and these provisions of the president of parliament are based on the law of the on the national assembly but these legal provision also had a restriction that um, the publicity of parliamentary sittings and uh, free dissemination of information could not be uh, eliminated or made impossible and that's actually what has been done I see. so therefore we we made this lawsuit so we will see what happens and the funniest um moment or follow-up of your uh, su- your suing is that they have already changed this yeah, rule. Yes. So uh, mm-hmm. now, right now, having had your uh, <clears throat> tri- having had your trial started, there was a change in the laws that basically now it's impossible to sue because of this reason. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the new administrative procedure code. It was made all, already by the Fides and. Uh, the possibilities for an administrative procedure had been extended because formerly you could only sue because of uh, decisions of authorities. Mm-hmm. The president of the parliament is not an authority, he's, he's a representative of a state body, but not an authority. But now you can sue because of any um, actions of the administration. So it's a wider circle of 
uh, decisions. That restricted even further. Yeah, yeah, and we based our lawsuit on, on this provision. And one day later, a proposal was introduced to eliminate this this one provision. I see. And Alexandra, these tactics of creating further provisions and further provisions in order to restrict something that is against populist leaders seems to be common, I mean, in the judiciary when it comes to the populist regimes. Is this, do you agree with this this view or...? Well, basically, you're asking me whether the populism has pervaded the, the legal sphere. Exactly. Um, so there have been a couple of decisions of the Constitutional Court of Romania that have been um, decried as being populist. But as I was trying to show today at the conference, the very nice conference that we had um, in Budapest, it's very difficult to tell these decisions apart from the more, let's call them regular ones, the less visibly political, because um, unfortunately, the language and the reasoning of the court is very very poor. So you can identify, if you look closely to the uh, to the language, you can identify all kinds of problems, non-sequiturs, tautologies, contradictions, selective treatment of case law. So at the end of the day, it's difficult to say, is this a, just a form of legitimate judicial politics that takes place all over the world, and it's not so problematic, depending on your view on constitutional and judicial review, of course, or is it a form of illegitimate, maybe uh, upholding the populist cause judicial politics. So it's quite difficult to say. Uh, but it's sure that uh, if you were to ask me who was the actor that was the most uh, powerful against populist, it was not necessarily the constitutional court, but definitely in the Romanian context, civil society. This is actually a surprise given the, the context of the region. We know that well, civil society in CE traditionally was not so active. But we, the, the country, witnessed the largest protests ever, and they proved to be unexpectedly, unexpectedly successful. So uh, we were lucky enough the, to actually make the people... I mean, we, the protesters, and then meet some coverage of the media, of course. Uh, some are very partisan, but um, some, I think, they were transmitting um, really well-informed um, you know, knowledge about what's happening. They made the people realize that the, the fight that the populist or the, well, the ruling party was fighting against the, jury, the judiciary, for, for instance, was its own, was in its own interest, and did not represent, in fact, the interests of the people. So I think the, the people realized that this and they did not... Um, uh, so populists basically, even if it was pushed for, it was maybe appealing to, to the, our politicians, It eventually it did not catch on with the Romanian people. So the judiciary alone cannot work out solutions against populism. There must be some yes. politics behind it, yeah. civil society, Absolutely. the media. Absolutely. I mean, the judiciary is powerful and the judges of the constitutional court are powerful, but the premises need to be there in order for this power to, 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 I don't know, to speak up, to, to be allowed to, to manifest itself. Yeah, so I think um, we've seen this with the Romanian um, context. So what are you focusing on now when it comes to studying this relationship? I mean, what gaps would help us shed light, perhaps, on what constitutional populism is or how populism influences the judiciary? Hmm. Well, first of all, I think this is a kind of question that has to be uh, answered again um, in con in relation to specific um, to specific countries. Um, 
I'm not inclined to say that um, specific techniques of interpretation, for instance, would somehow save us, uh, would save the constitutional court or constitutionalists from the threat, uh, from the, the, the menace of populism. Um, so um, probably a discussion on the, um, the powers, the prerogatives of the constitutional court in times of populism is one that we should be having. Um, so today at the conference, um, a commentator was um, asking us whether we keep criticizing the court for maybe not rising to the to the occasion of you know killing populism. And he was asking, but maybe we should reconsider the constitutional court itself. Maybe we should uh, come up with some new solutions. And I'm totally open to this, but it's not easy. I have to admit, I mean, it's not easy. And lawyers, to be honest, are not the most imaginative. You know, of scholars and um, well professionals um, in the world so it's difficult but um, probably so possibly populism now challenges the way we are organizing society and why not at some point it would force us to come up with new solutions so in this sense populism might be you know a good thing right right going back to Romanian populism Absolutely. It was the Romanian presidential elections, and there was the candidate Teodor Paleologu, which uh, he's a very famous intellectual in Romania. Uh, he got about six percent. Yes. And uh, he was the candidate of my favorite populist, Trajan Pesescu, mm-hmm. uh, who hates the Hungarians, yes. and uh, yeah, had, had also impeached or tried yeah, to twice. impeach yeah, when, when he was a president. So I think he is really a good populist. I like like, like him, but. <laughs> And Palalogu was his candidate. He is he's really an intellectual, so a completely different man. And we made an interview with this man, Palalogu. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told us if he could be a president, he would um, hold referendums on a number of issues, like uh, uh, shouldn't be Romania a monarchy again, um, should the Senate be eliminated and the unicameral parliament established? And so quite... Um, quite populist like. But you I just... am really wondering what, what you think about this, because yeah, uh, he, was, so he was always thinking, okay, I just want a referendum, I, I won't do anything with that. And uh, yeah, we have seen, you have also mentioned this referendum about the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so easy to reach the threshold, so maybe he could hold a referendum and... Uh, 20% go to vote and nothing happens. Um, and this just came into my mind because in Hungary, Fidesz is usually afraid of referendums. They uh, prohibited to um, hold any referendums on constitutional issues. Um, so, and, and they are told as populist, but they, they have eliminated mm-hmm. uh, the most uh, uh, possibilities of direct word of the people, so no referendums, no. Uh, once they made an, uh, made one referendum, so it, it was uh, held by the government, and they couldn't reach the threshold either, so referendums are can be populist, but maybe not. Maybe, yeah, precisely. I think your example is it's very good precisely to point to the fact that, uh, well, populism is chameleonic. It takes many, many forms. And precisely, so referendums can be an embedment, on, um, sorry, um, a reflection of populism. On the other hand, it uh, can be precisely the contrary. So, yeah. Um, but regarding, um, yeah, Paleologue's statements, um, well, as you have just mentioned he only managed to gather five percent so basically his rhetoric again i think it did not catch on with um, the 
with the people, despite the fact that I think Romanians have at least the liberal elites, they tend to have this um, to vote precisely because of the fact that for so many time we've seen uh, incompetent politicians in power. The liberal elites, as soon as someone who's an intellectual, who's um, a cultural person, uh, comes up um, on the on the political scene, they tend to be so enthusiastic. But um, apparently, uh, with this um, person. And it did not happen. So, which actually, I think it shows that the country had other um, concerns uh, at the moment. So, this idea of having, you know, putting there a person who, the most important who, who read the, the, the Odyssey yeah, yeah. and knows who, <laughs> yeah. who marries it was not yeah. that important. Yeah. Do you feel that uh, people tend to accept more narratives of populist or whatever we classify them leaders in Hungary precisely because there is a lack of. Um, diversity in media narratives in the country. They are more like pro-government as far as, as I know, as I understand. Yeah, you have the government media and you have very much private media, which is actually government friendly. And yeah, there are the local newspapers, which are usually pro-government and the, at very much times they just copy each other's material. So you, so you have the same Orban interview, um, I don't know, before Christmas or something. I see. In but, 18 local yeah, yeah. newspaper. Yeah. But uh, as the internet news sites are really pluralistic now. Uh, there are also uh, oppositional news channels and also commercial channels. So if you want to new things about the world, you can... You have information. You have yeah. access to information. Yeah. You mentioned that... Uh, the media here is having more analysis, particularly in your media outlet. So do you think this is one element that the media should bet more in the Hungarian case? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, so media is also like the politics. Either you write Orban is evil, either you write uh, Orban has written everything. And mm -hmm. if you are in the middle, uh, you get some criticism, but I'm happy with that. So... Uh, because I know that there are people who are thinking and uh, who like who know that just things are not black and white, and I think yeah, more media outlets should uh, do this and uh, be more balanced than trying to see things not black and white. I met uh, Manuel Guten three years ago, and then we, I, I also published in a book in which he also contributed yeah. um, a chapter, and uh, I, I was surprised by his argumentation because. Basically, he, he argued that um, um, truly full-fledged um, uh, European-like uh, legal culture cannot really be set up in Romania because there are some underlying uh, elements or components in the Romanian political culture. And he pointed out that the ethnocentric nationalism is one of the strongest components that impedes the formation of a rule of law based truly or uh, Euro European tailored European tailored uh, political and legal culture. Do you do you agree with this? Yeah, well it is um to a certain extent a valid point in the sense in which um so I have to admit many scholars, uh, many constitutional law scholars, um, politics scholars, they tend to recognize this ethnocentric character of Romanian constitutionalism. Um, but then um, I would suggest that uh, this shift in constitutional imagination uh, 
occurs um, almost everywhere. Uh, and by this, I mean that we are moving from understanding the Constitution as exact, precisely reflecting some kind of a unitary spirit of the nation, a fixed uh, historical identity, to understanding the document, the Constitution, as a resource that's put at the disposal of the society for it to precisely negotiate its future and to allow for um, contradictions. Uh, so I think we depart uh, from this uh, unitary vision of the people embedded in a specific kind of um, ethnicity. Uh, so, a bit 19th century-like, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And I think, that at least I hope, actually, that more and more Romanians will understand this. And uh, scholars and judges alike will build upon this second understanding of what the Constitution is. And to be honest, it's um, much more sincere to uh, have a look at the future and not to have a look at the past. And actually this uh, constitutional identity term idea encourages us, I think, to always, to always look at the past as if the past was some kind of immaculate um, framework within which now we have to move. Um, and to be really honest, with two million um, Romanians uh, being um, migrant, being ab abroad, and, well, keeping their um, contacts with uh, the people at home, with more and more Romanians traveling, I'm quite confident that we will move away uh, from this uh, ethnocentric um, character. And to be really honest, I don't really know to what extent it is embedded where. I mean, is it embedded in the mentality of the people? It is embedded. If, if so, well, this can change, of course, as people's mentalities change. And we've seen this with Romanians that have embraced for the large part um, European spirit. Or is it embedded in the Constitution? Okay, if it's embedded in a then text, it can be changed, then easily. of course it can be changed. And not you don't really need to change it to what? You, do you change the Constitution formally? I mean, judges can and have the means to interpret it in a way that corresponds to the European, um, to, to European values. Just because we have in Article 1, you know, the state is um, unitary, I don't think this is something that it's not set in stone in the sense in which uh, you ca you can't uh, you can't move on with interpretations that are favorable to you know a more uh, diverse society, um, but otherwise, of course. Um, so I would suggest that it's a valid point, but I would not go as far as uh, suggesting that this risks undermining the Romania's commitment to the European values. That that I think would be too much and that too too pessimistic a view. Thank you so much for joining Thanks us for this podcast. <clears throat> Thanks a lot. Bea and Alexandra was very happy. I, I was very happy, yeah, to talk with you both and also having Balash alongside me. And if you liked this podcast, please share your comments and your thoughts on the demo's Facebook page and Twitter page as well. See you next time.